As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and our latest summer transfer window update. Yes, the European window slams shut next week on September 1st. So we're going to look at the deals that are still to be done, the clubs that have gaps to fill, the best business so far, and much, much more. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's rumoured to be Nottingham Forest 700th <laughs> signing of the summer. They've already bought everyone else. Taylor, is it your turn? Uh, yeah, I'll take that. I feel like there's no pressure then for me to just go in there and like, if I'm not starting, if I'm not on the bench, that's fine because there's 300 other people who also aren't starting or on the bench and they themselves could make a good team. So I feel like I'm in decent company where I belong. Exactly. They can't all start, Tay-Tay. They yeah. can't all start. You'll get your time. You'll get your time. Uh, joining us, Taylor, a man who, much like Jules Conde, isn't registered to play for Barcelona, Graham Rudfin. Hello. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. We'll see what happens when they finally get some players off the books, which I expect will happen before the end of the transfer window, but it feels like Barcelona have been saying that for a number of weeks now and nobody has left. To be honest, Graham, Barcelona and their transfer policy is so weird right now. I wouldn't be shocked if they announced you as the next signing. I mean, I still would be, but I get the <laughs> principle of what you're saying, Ryan Bailey. I just want to see you in that medical pose, shirt off, with all those sort of oh, wires does. coming off your chest. I oh, know you need a shirt. You need <laughs> no. one of your thousands of shirts. But uh... yeah. no, nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to see that, especially, especially me. That will Graham, not be going on my Instagram. Graham's going to set the or break a record for a player photographed having his physical while eating meat pies. Like I just picture you having multiple meat pies in your face <laughs> while those photos are going off. <laughs> Yeah, cl- classic, classic picture for me. Yeah, the doctor sort of running around and sort of showing each other scans and saying, this man is mostly pie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> a medical he- freak. <laughs> Rounding out our pack, guys, we've got a man who fends off his legions of fans like Leicester fend off Wesley Fofana bids from Chelsea, Joe Lowry. Hello. 
Yeah, Leicester are just not going to have it, are they? So many other deals have gone through, and Leicester are just not really interested in letting players go. They don't seem all that interested in signing players either, but we can talk maybe a little <laughs> bit more about that later. I'm just still fixated on Graham eating at least three meat pies at the same time while signing for FC Barcelona. <laughs> Stranger I mean, things have happened. That's basically what Ronaldinho did towards the end of his time <laughs> at Barcelona. Maybe, and maybe that's what Serginho Des needs to do. Maybe that's the secret, right? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, we've got some solid advice coming out here in the early minutes of our transfer special. Uh, let's get straight into it, though. The Guardian's transfer tracker tells me that as we record, which is Wednesday, August 24th, 1,374 deals have been done by Europe's top five leagues to the tune of $4.1 billion. The majority of those dollars coming and going from the Premier League. Uh, why don't we start off, guys, by going around the houses and looking... At the deals that we like the most so far that have been done this summer. Now, Joe, I'm looking at our running order, and the top name on here is a name that I didn't actually realise had left his club <laughs> until a few days after he had done so. It's Timo Werner going to RB Leipzig. Um, what do you make of that one? You've, you've listed this one as a best deal so far. Ryan, I thought you were going to make way more fun of me for picking Timo Werner on this <laughs> list than you did. Either me or Timo Werner. I'm frankly shocked at how pleasant and, and sort of passive that was. But I'm not going to complain. So I have this on, on the list of best deals for a few different reasons. So one is strictly from a business standpoint for RB Leipzig. So let's rewind a couple of years now. Timo Werner is joining Chelsea. It's 2020. He's joining from RB Leipzig for 53 million euros. Now we fast forward back to the present. And uh, he's going back to RB Leipzig for 30 million euros. So there's wages. There's agent fees. There's a whole lot more that goes into transfers than just transfer fees. And there's things that I don't know and that we don't know about the monetary side of this deal. But on the surface, I would be surprised if Leipzig didn't make a pretty tidy profit from this whole thing. It's a great bit of business for them, getting a proven Bundesliga player back in the team and also you know, recouping a lot of their uh, recouping a nice chunk of change in this whole process. I think it's a great business move from Leipzig, and I think tactically, Werner can do some good things under Tedesco. Now, Leipzig haven't been exceptional to start the season they lose over the weekend, but Werner has a goal in 156 minutes or so in the Bundesliga so far. I think he's an excellent player. I don't think we saw the best of him at Chelsea. I don't think he, he was really ever going to fit exceptionally well under Thomas Tuchel, similar to sort of Christian Pulisic's fit in that system. He thrives in more space, and Leipzig like to possess a lot, but I think Werner is going to be able to really knife through defenses in some of those transition moments. I like this deal, guys. Uh, yeah, the most offside man in the world making a move back to Germany. Wonderful Absolutely. stuff, Joe. Yeah, Love to see it. There um, it is. There it is, folks. There it is. <laughs> I got there in the end. Um, any other German deals, Joe? I, I noticed that you've got Ryan Gravenberg, excuse me, going to Bayern Munich from Ajax. Uh, tell us about that one. Yeah, I'll hit. I'll hit one incoming to the Bundesliga and one outgoing to the Bundesliga here quickly. Both central midfielders. Ryan Gravenberg coming in for 18 million euros. It's, it's just the fee that gets me here. And again, there's so much more to all of this. One aspect is certainly the contract. So Gravenberg's contract was going to be out in 2023. So Ajax didn't have a ton of leverage and he wanted to move. But Bayern get a 20-year-old, a, a massive talent. He's got room to grow. They have enough depth in midfield that there's not a ton of pressure for him to play a ton right off the bat. I think that's a great spot for him to develop. And it just strikes me that, that Gravenberg is going to be just this next fixture of Bayern's midfield for the next five years or so. And I think he's an exceptional player with a lot of room to grow. So I think that's a good bit of business for Bayern. And honestly, not the worst bit of business for Ajax either when they know he's not going to re-sign with them. Cutting, cutting bait and getting 18 million euros from him is not the worst thing. And the other move 
is is Tyler Adams going to Leeds? And I, I know I've spoken ill of this move from Tyler Adams' perspective, and I still stand by everything that I've said on that regard, that Leeds is, is a step or two down for RB Leipzig. I think that's pretty clear. But the really good bit of business here, I think, is for Leeds United, to be totally honest. 17 million pounds for Tyler Adams, a great fit, someone Jesse Marsh knows. We've already seen his his price tag sort of validated on the field in big games. I'm thinking about that 3-0 win over Chelsea over the weekend. I think this is a great bit of business for Leeds. He was far from their most expensive signing in this summer window. I think he's their third most expensive signing after Sinistera and Brendan Aronson. I mean, that's a nice bit of business for Leeds to snag a, a solid Bundesliga midfielder and a player that I think fits perfectly in that Jesse Marsh system. Taylor, we were full of praise for Tyler Adams over the weekend, uh, that performance against Chelsea that Joe mentioned. We like this one as a deal, don't we? Oh, very much so. I think even for Leeds fans, I think they should be happy about that fee. I think it is a bit on the lower side, even if it gets up to the 23 million euro maximum it could hit. Sure. Still seems like a good bit of business for a player that's coming in, expected to do some of the work towards replacing Calvin Phillips, but thus far has looked very much capable of it. And I think we've talked about this plenty. We'll talk about it again. But I think it's because he's doing exactly what they're asking him to do. Uh, he fits an area of need. Jesse Marsh knows how to get the best out of him, knows how to utilize him effectively. And I think he's able to do so more so than he was at, at Leipzig, certainly, when Marsh was there and when Adams was there. So I think this transfer makes a lot of sense. One little thing. I think I would still disagree somewhat with Joe's assertion that Leeds is so far below Leipzig. And I wonder if this is a thing of Joe, do you perceive Leeds as a just like a newly promoted club in the Premier League, or do you see them as a club that has the history they have that are then newly back in the Premier League? Uh, I mean, I see them as a newly promoted club in the Premier League because mm. that's what they are, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's why I think I'm not saying there isn't history but, there, but when well I'm talking played. about it being different than Leipzig, one mm-hmm. team is challenging for Europe and the other team is not. That's sort of as simple as it, it gets for me. Yeah, I think I, I just get confused when it comes to any team that isn't really going to overtake Bayern Munich anytime soon versus a team like Leeds. Like, I would guess that Leeds probably made as much or more money off of their TV deal than Leipzig did last year. Oh, and sure. Not that money is a great indicator, just that it's it's a strange one where I know exactly what you mean in terms of Champions League, no Champions League, relegation battlers versus potential title challengers, but it's still, it's it's a bit more of a lateral move in my mind, even with those things established. Indeed. Uh, Graham, why don't we talk about Arsenal's window? Let's move on to Arsenal now, um, who brought in a couple of Premier League champions, didn't they? Yeah, so they brought in Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko from Manchester City. We've already spoken quite a bit about Jesus on, on the pod, but if we're talking about best deals of the summer, I, I simply have to, to mention him. It's still still very early days for him at Arsenal, but I think he has the potential to be a, a, a transformational signing for Arsenal. Arteta, obviously has worked with him previously, recognised how he could be used in a more effective way, um, and he's been electric in the first three matches that he's played for Arsenal. Has only scored in one of those three matches, but even in those other two games, he was he was brilliant. And it's just not in it's not just in his own performances, but in the way he's getting more out of players around him, players like Martinelli and Odegaard, and it wouldn't surprise me if Bakaya Saka started cooking as well soon. He would, there was a bit of a partnership there in the games I watched in preseason that hasn't translated into the Premier League yet. But as I say, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we see signs of that as well. And then Zinchenko. So at first, I was um, I, I was reluctant to to see or, or, or um, not too pleased to see Zinchenko sign for Arsenal because obviously he is in direct competition with uh, Sir Kieran Tierney for that left back position. But I can't deny that he has been very good since uh, since he signed for Arsenal. Just gives Arsenal 
a lot of control. I think he's a very different option to Kieran Tierney. So I think Arteta at times will still turn to, to Tierney, maybe use Zinchenko in central midfield. But as I say, he brings a lot of control. It feels like Arsenal are doing more to suffocate teams. They've won all three of their games played so far this season. Yes, they haven't really had much of a test. I'm very interested to see how they do in that North London derby against Tottenham on October 1st. But it definitely feels like Zinchenko and, and, and Jesus have seriously strengthened. Just just those two signings. It's only two signings, but it, the, the impact they've had goes beyond just two players being added to a squad. Yeah, definitely so. And I, by the way, I wasn't aware that Tierney was knighted. That's news to me, Graham. But uh, uh, Zinchenko... He was in my house. <laughs> I'm sure he was. Zinchenko, um, it seems like this is a good opportunity to make his mark in midfield, though, right? Rather than the fullback position. Well, that's that's where he was. That's where he played when he was signed by right. Manchester City. He was signed as a midfielder. If you watched Ukraine at the Euros, or I watched Ukraine completely dismantle Scotland in that World Cup playoff semi-final, Zinchenko wasn't even playing in in that game against Scotland. He wasn't even playing as a holding midfielder. He was very much a creative midfielder playing around 20, 25 yards out from goal, and and he was brilliant. He's a very capable player in that position. So, as good as Zinchenko has been at left back. I am um, looking forward to see... Arteta said he's going to use him in midfield at some point, so I'm looking forward to see how he does in that position for Arsenal. Indeed. Elsewhere in London, Tater, let's talk about Chelsea, um, whose business probably isn't done. We'll get onto that a little later in the show. But they did sign uh, Kyle Mooney from um, Brighton, didn't they? Yes, they did. And listeners, I should add, I was muted. Uh, so you're listening to this through the magic of editing. But I laughed very, very hard at that joke, Ryan. That was amazing because for a moment I did think, like, did they sign some underage player that I didn't really realize and forgot? <laughs> I put it in my notes. No, they signed Mark Kukurea from Brighton. And I think this is a move that makes sense for a lot of different people, lot, uh, both clubs, I would say. Maybe not Ben Showell. Probably not thrilled by this <laughs> move. But Brighton signed Kukurea uh, from Hatafe for £15 million. Pounds. Move him on a year later for 56 million pounds. That's a good bit of business for them. Then you've got that uh, 7 million add-on as well. They get a player in on loan from Chelsea too. So I think it's it's a good bit of business for them. They're selling a player for a maximum amount of money at a good enough time. Chelsea get a target, one of their targets, who uh, seemed like he was destined for Man City. So a bit of a coup, even if it seemed like Man City had started to pull away from that deal. He has Premier League experience. He is already starting for them. And he definitely fills an area of need. Did not feel like Marcus Alonso was one for the long term. Ben Showell has been out with that injury, and we're not sure when he will be back. Uh, and if he is back, I doubt he will be starting. So this one, I think, makes a lot of sense for both parties, even if there is a ton of money spent by Chelsea. It does indeed. Uh, Graham, how about Joe Rebo? Let's talk about Joe Rebo, who uh, worked his way up the leagues from Staines Town. Ali G fans will be pleased with that uh, that journey that Joe Rebo's made. That. Yeah, he started at Staines. I knew with- he was at, I knew he was at Charlton before Rangers. I didn't realize it was Staines Town that he started I'm gonna, out. I'm going to be honest. Staines Town cannot be a real name of a soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> like, you not- I, can we all agree that that we, that just can't? We can't allow not, that. Not an Ali G fan, Joe. Mm. No. Uh, <laughs> Add it to the list. <laughs> So the joke uh, about Ali G, Joe, is that um, Staines is a very nice area of southwest London um, and he treats it like it's not. That's, <laughs> well, it's uh, called it, Staines. That's yeah. why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get uh, it. The, the reason I know it, Graham, is because his manager was Marcus Gale, who played for Wimbledon back then. Uh, I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but he ding, also ding, played ding, at Rangers. Ding, 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 ding. 
Yeah. Yes, he, he did. He did play at Rangers, and and Joe with his picks here, he went for kind of value for money, and this is one of those picks for me. He is obviously a, a player I, I watched, as you say, there, Ryan. I watched a great deal of him for for Rangers in Scotland, and at the end of last season, it felt like the time was right for him to to move on. He'd impressed in in the Europa League, obviously Rangers making the final of that competition last season. He scored in the final, even though Rangers lost that that game on penalties. He was good for Nigeria at uh, Afcon at the start of the year as well. Again. Um, even though Nigeria didn't do well in that tournament, he was a standout, and he can he can pretty much play play anywhere across the midfield. He can he can play deep. He can play as a number ten. He can play out wide. He did that a number of times for Rangers. He's good on the ball. He's got good physical attributes. He is good for a Maradona s dribble every so often. We saw him score one of those for Southampton in, in preseason. And ten million pounds is the quoted price. I think that's with add-ons as well. That's including the add-ons. And he was into the final year of his contract at Rangers, so that is the the qualification. But nonetheless, ten million pounds for a full international who's proven himself at the top level of European competition. He's only twenty six years old, and I think he's been eased into the t- the team at Southampton. I don't think he started the first couple of games, but he started at the weekend there, and I think he was he was pretty impressive. So Joe Rebo is is uh, one player that I would highlight. Another value pick that I would I would put forward would be uh, Nick Pope. Now Newcastle didn't really need a new goalkeeper. They already had Martin Dabravka. But I think when the chance comes up to sign Nick Pope for £10 million, you have to take it. And I honestly think Nick Pope, maybe I'm slightly overrating him here. Maybe there's some disagreement on the pod on this, but I think he's a top five Premier League goalkeeper. I think his fundamentals are very solid in that he can make a, he can make a save, he can claim a cross, he is vocal, but he, he can also play out from the back, which is somewhat surprising for a goalkeeper that spent like five years at, at Burnley playing under Sean Dyche. But he's made, he's made a pretty big impact for Newcastle. He was excellent against Brighton and against Manchester City at the weekend, despite the fact he, he, he conceded three goals. And Newcastle, they're building a team for the future right now, and there will be a lot of turnover in that squad, even players that they have signed in the last six months will be replaced over the next few years but I don't think they need to worry about their goalkeeper for a while because I think Nick Pope, Nick Pope is uh, very good well I always thought Dubravka was very good Graham uh, maybe was. even top 10 so that was what confused me about this deal because I thought they already had a pretty safe pair of hands yeah they, yeah they did and that's that's what I mean when I say when the chance comes up to sign Pope for 10 million pounds you just take it because it wasn't a position as you say it wasn't a position they really desperately needed an upgrade on because Dubravka is very good but at Pope is an upgrade on Depravka and £10 million represents some pretty shrewd business, if you ask me. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, one tailor that's on our list here, which I'd like to uh, ask you a little about, is uh, Gleason Bremer going to Juventus mm-hmm. uh, across town from Torino. Um, Brazilian centre-back, not a national team player. Um, why do you like this one? Uh, I would say not a national team player yet. I think he will be eventually, but I think it's it's representative. I like it as a representation of the way Serie A clubs, for the most part, are doing business this summer. I think it's a good insight into how they're having to operate, but I also think at the same time, it's a smart bit of business. But by and large, from uh, my conversation with David Amoyal and from reading about it a bit more myself, seems like Serie A clubs are very focused on balancing the books, about making smart acquisitions, and about moves that allow them to represent value. The selling of Matthias de Ligt would be a big one of those. They sold him for around 80 million euros. And then they reinvested roughly half of that into Bremer, who's an established Serie A uh, centre-back, been playing for Torino since 2018 when they brought him over from Brazil. So you're getting 
a very, very good center back who is a proven entity in Serie A, but also was a player that, for a moment, was all but signed by Inter Milan. And so for Juve to be able to, to get in ahead of, of Inter and basically force Inter to then go back and keep Skriniar, which I think they're okay with, but they were expecting to make a ton of money off of his sale... That doesn't happen, and so now there has to be some recalibrations for Inter, but for Juve, they get a center back. They're able to, to let Chiellini leave on a free. They've let, let a lot of players leave on frees this summer, so they clear off a huge amount of wages. They bring in a young center back who I think will be a key performer for them. And then for Torino, it's not great to lose a player of his stature and of his status within the club, but at the same time, it's a player that... They did not have to spend a huge amount of money on when they first brought him in, and so for him to now be sold on for the, for the amount that they got, I think it's a great bit of business for them as well. So overall, I think both clubs will be happy, but Juve probably more so for beating Inter, for bringing in another player, and for still at the end having a pretty strong uh, transfer balance, even with some of the other signings they've made. The, f- the fact that Bremer doesn't have a single Brazil cap is rather frightening. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. Is, right? about the depth that Brazil has. Just just give them the World Cup right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, six million dollars. I was looking it up. Six million dollars is what they signed him from from uh, Atletico Mineiro, I believe it was, uh, in 2018-2019. So uh, increasing that significantly uh, would be Torino's, and they can then reinvest that. And Torino were the ones who, the club that had their sporting director and their coach get into an actual screaming altercation in the preseason about the lack of signings. So you would assume that money will help them subsidize additional transfers. Wonderful stuff. Let's keep it on the continent, Graham. Um, we should talk about the biggest deal of the summer so far in terms of cash value. Uh, Aurelien many going to Real Madrid from Monaco. Um, around 85 million euros for that deal. Is that a good value deal for you, Graham? Um, obviously, that is a huge fee, so I'm not sure how I would assess whether that is good value for money. But I have picked him out as one of the deals of, of the summer because of the context around this, this signing. Real Madrid haven't always had a good reputation for, for planning, but this is a move that future-proofs their midfield after the signing of uh, Camavinga last summer. Um, it now seems that Chumini will be a more important player for Real Madrid this season than was maybe planned when he, when he was signed because, of course... Casemiro has left Real Madrid for Manchester United, but I would argue that the Chumeni signing allows Real Madrid to move Casemiro on for, frankly, an, an astonishing fee of €70 million Euros to, to Manchester United. That move might work out for Casemiro and for Manchester United, but it, it just allows Real Madrid to replenish their squad and keep moving forward, and they do still have, I believe, the Kylian Mbappe fund somewhere in, oh. in Florent- Florentino Perez's bank account. Obviously, they <laughs> didn't sign him this summer but Real Madrid with the exception of Mbappe it seems like they're very much focused right now on one in one out keeping things on an even an even keel keeping themselves in the, in the black in terms of a, of a financial term because they're redeveloping the, the Bernabeu at the moment there's not a huge amount of money that, for them to spend in the transfer uh, the transfer window unless they sell players and that's what they've done so even though Casemiro is, was a key player. I think he's arguably one of the best players in his position. The Chumini signing allows Real Madrid to, as I say, just keep moving forward. Chumini's still raw in some areas of his game, but he's only 22. And the idea is that Real Madrid have just signed a key part of their team for the next 10 years. And, so that's why I've picked him. And Graham, I don't know if you feel this way too. I think this is sort of what you articulated there. I feel a lot better about the fee that Madrid paid for Chumini after the Casemiro deal, right? When, when you yeah. go through and have the second domino fall, it makes the, the initial fee, because the Chiumeni deal happened you know, weeks and weeks before the Casemiro deal did. 
But I think Manchester United, you know, being willing to pay 70 million euros with 11 more in add-ons makes that a great bit of business for Madrid to get Casemiro off their books and get that that what could be 81 million euros into the bank. And then obviously some of that was already spent on Chiomeni. So yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that, that in-out business from Madrid. Who made that noise when Graham mentioned Mbappe? Taylor, was that That you? was not me. <laughs> that was me. That was me. I mean, we're jumping ahead. I have Madrid as one of my winners of the transfer window for avoiding Kylian Mbappe. Genuinely. Oh. He is an amazing player. He's an amazing talent. But we're already seeing how much of a distraction he can be or seems like he will be when you build the entire team around him and publicly state that he is the player for your club. And that's basically what what Madrid would have been doing. And I think that's a Madrid team that were very stable and have proven themselves to be very stable. Even when you change managers, still end up winning the Champions League. That's that's no mean uh, feat. So I think for Madrid to be as strong as they have been and continue to be, uh, it's just a very strong window, even yeah. when they're not spending huge amounts of money on players. Am, am I the only one who finds it just jarring that all of a sudden Real Madrid seem to be well run? That's n- yeah, never really odd. been something that I have associated with them. Yes, they've signed great players and had great teams, but it's always been the, the Galacticos policy. And at the moment, they're, they're not really doing that. They're, they're certainly better run than their yeah. rivals in, mm-hmm. in Catalonia. So it, the reason why I made that noise as well is because, to Graham's point, if you go back, it, it's kind of crazy. Like, this summer they signed Chiuameni, but that I would agree with Joe that, that a huge part of that is offset by Casemiro uh, being sold. But then last summer, their major expenditure was for Camavinga for around 30 million euros, I believe it was. But that's the same summer that they're selling Varane and Odegaard, so they have a positive transfer balance. The summer before that, season before that, they don't have any permanent signings. It's really that one summer when they bring in Aiden Hazard and spend like 300 or $400 million, uh, closer to $400 million, I believe. That's the one where they went all in, and a lot of those signings yeah. missed. And I think since then, they've been much more conservative, much more pragmatic in their approach. Yeah, after Hazard, they were like, no, not doing that again. Never mind. They, they, now, there's a player that probably did eat some pies during his... Uh, <laughs> His medical. <laughs> That's just accurate. I would agree with that. Oh, dear. Well, let's talk about a player who probably eats many pies a day because he's six foot five tall and six foot five wide. Erling Haaland, we should probably mention in, yeah. uh, in, in this category, Taylor, uh, going to Manchester City, of course. That's working out well and will do so, we imagine. Yeah, uh, somebody on Reddit, on the TSS Reddit, posted our preseason predictions. I'm feeling pretty confident about a lot of mine, though the Liverpool to win the title one. Feeling less and less confident about that one. Maybe slightly too swayed by the community shield, which always makes me feel foolish to say a sentence like that. But Erling Haaland, since that time, has become not just the goal scorer we knew he would be for Man City, but also just such a threat that teams are so focused on him. We've talked about this in weekend reviews, that even when he only has eight touches, he's still such a focal point for the defense that he creates space for other teammates. And I think in that way, he's allowing to Man City to change the way they attack, but they can still be Man City if they need to. He can score goals, but he can help facilitate goal scoring. He has just been the exact player they wanted him to be. And at a time when I think there will be some teams that are in flux and have to figure things out, I think there's a decent chance that Man City have opened up a massive gap by the time everyone else starts to figure things out and really put a run of uh, results together. So I think in that way, he's hit the ground running literally and figuratively and probably has to be considered one of the best transfers of the summer. Excellent stuff. Let's wrap up this segment uh, with one more deal, maybe a couple more deals. Joe, um, any cross-Atlantic deals we want to talk about here. Uh, maybe some players who've gone to Los Angeles. Gareth Bales, your world's worst human, your Ricky Pooch is going to Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ricky Pooch to the Galaxy, I think, is 
one of the best MLS transfers of all time. We've seen MLS really in this window, I think, sink in and, and start to target players that they would have never been able to target before. Or, or maybe this is only only would have happened in recent years or recent windows in the last year, year and a half or so. Ricky Pouge going to the Galaxy. He As soon as Pouge stepped on the field against the Sounders on Friday night in that 3-3 draw for the Galaxy, I think he became the most talented central midfielder in all of Major League Soccer. He's he's that good. We didn't see him break games open. A, a lot of the rhetoric around Pooch right now is that he's going to be a, a number 10, and I just don't think that's true at all. I don't think he, he's going to be the guy that's up connecting and, and, and threading balls in behind the back line. That's not really his game. He's more of a ball progressor than he is a chance creator, but he's so good at progressing the ball. He I mean, he is. there's a reason why he was at Barcelona, and the fact that he was at Barcelona and is now with the LA Galaxy says a lot, I think, about... Major League Soccer's profile being raised. It also says yeah. a lot about Barcelona's financials because Nico is now on loan at, uh, at Valencia and he was a contributor for them last year. Ricky Puj is now out uh, to the Galaxy on a free. There's a lot of underlying factors here, but the fact that the Galaxy pulled this off is is truly impressive. Joe, the number 10 conversation I feel like is largely rooted in the fact that he at Barcelona a big knock against him was his lack of defensive ability, both his awareness, but also his inability to make those challenges that were needed. He's not that that big tackler. He's not the holding midfielder. And so I think for some people that translates to, oh, he'll be a number 10 and have no defensive responsibilities. And I think he'll not be an outright number 10. I think he'll fluctuate between the two. But I think he will be an incredibly important part of that L.A. offense. I think he will be given a lot of freedom to sort of do what he wants, still functioning within the team system. But I agree with you also not being the primary playmaker because I'm not sure that also is his like strongest skill set. Sure. But the thing that I think stood out to me about this one, maybe I have the details wrong. Maybe I'm interpreting them the wrong way. But Barcelona basically admitting they could have gotten more money from him right now, and this is Barcelona, who desperately need money right now, but instead have a clause to either bring him back or they get 50, 5-0% of his uh, transfer fee if he's sold on. That, to me, says Barcelona maybe just wanted to get rid, and maybe they're talking it up a bit too much, but more likely to me is that they see a player who will be sold on for a good chunk of change because he'll look very good in MLS, and he'll play pretty well, is my guess, and I think There will be teams now that MLS is moving towards establishing itself as a selling league, which I think is good for the league. I think it's good for the clubs. I think it's good for supporters to some extent. I think that there's a good chance that uh, Puj ends up getting moved on for uh, enough money that it makes sense because then Barcelona are recouping some of the uh, investment into him. So for Barca, I think it's a good deal. The Galaxy get this young uh, potential playmaker, potential difference maker who's also a name, who also has a story behind him, who was at one point the the future of Barcelona. I think anytime you can bring in somebody like that and spin it to your advantage, the Galaxy um, have proven themselves more than adept at doing just that. And he tucks his shirt in hard. Also so that. There's that. Also that. Well. Old school. School. <laughs> Vinny Jones nods approvingly. He does indeed. All right. I'm nodding approvingly at that first segment of this show of the best deals of the window so far. When we come back after this break, we're looking at the players who are still likely to move in the next week and maybe look at some teams who got some gaps back soon. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be 
offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to a transfer special. Uh, Taylor, why don't we talk about some of the players who are still likely to move, or maybe not likely to move, mm. or maybe, you know, they're going to be up in the air up until the late hours of September 1st next week. Who do you want to start with, Tay-Tay? I mean, I feel like you're teeing me up to talk about Manchester United here, uh, which I will do. I'm just worried that I will end up talking for 15 straight minutes and I'll black out along the way. Uh, I'm prepared to stay at risk. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to be a strange end of the window for Manchester United. The win over Liverpool is important, not just because it, it, it makes people feel a little bit better about Ten Hag, a little bit better about the squad buying in, but I also think, put it this way, Casemiro is in the stadium for that result. If that game goes the way I thought it would, and it's a 6-0 win for Liverpool, no chance that he's coming out of that one thinking like, well, this is an exciting time to be here. And this is also a game that uh, was led into by massive fan protests. So the recipe was there for it to be another example of why players shouldn't sign for Man United. For them to beat Liverpool, for the crowd to be as raucous as it was, still very anti-Glazer, which I think is uh, good and understandable. But at the same time, I think that result will sort of allow them to flex their muscles a bit more than sort of begging players to come in as they're oh, like uh, winless in their first three games in bottom of the table. Uh, who those players will be is a bit more of a question mark because they still are linked with 
I don't know, between what, like three and 400 players in the market, depending on who your sources might be. Ronaldo is still there. I don't know if that will happen. I don't know if Anthony will come in. Uh, I don't know if Harry Maguire will still be there. It seems like he will be. It seems like they're hesitant to move him on. I'm not entirely sure why that's the case. But I think at this point, they're sort of stuck with Ronaldo. He's stuck with them. So he's going to happily applaud other players scoring and pretend to be a good teammate. All the yeah. while, he, I think, sort of plots his his exit, however that might end up taking place. I don't know what happens with Ronaldo because it feels like he has overplayed his hand this this summer. In terms of the players that Man United will sign before the end of the window, the the growing consensus seems to be that Anthony is is likely to happen. He didn't play at the weekend. He wasn't included in Ajax's squad for a game against Sparta Rotterdam. He hasn't been training. He's trying to force through a move. The Athletic, David Ornstein, kind of suggests that um, Ajax are willing to do a deal they just want a club record fee for mm-hmm. him and I think my United's summer transfer activity can be summed up by their pursuit of Anthony because they decided pretty early <laughs> on that he was one of their top targets they went to Ajax and were quoted 80 million euros at that time that's according to the reports I'd say that you can you can trust um, United at that point thought it was too much that was too much so they dropped it and they didn't really go back to Ajax now, in a position of weakness and desperation, they've gone back to Ajax, who now say that they want 100 million euros because it's so <laughs> late in the window, and they've looked at some of the other deals that have been done in Europe, and that's what they believe now Anthony is worth, and now United are considering paying that amount of money, which they, they if they'd just done the deal earlier in the summer, they would have got a player in integrated him so he would have been more of a part of Ten Hag's system being ready for the start of the season and paid less for him that kind of feels like a a microcosm of their whole summer but nonetheless let's put the money to one side if we can Anthony would be a very good signing for United and they're going to need some options in those wide positions this season because Ten Hag asks a lot of those players and having Anthony, Sancho, Rashford, Martial and Alanga that is some serious strength in there. And I very much want to see Anthony Martial and Alanga play as a front three because that would be a front three of Anthony, 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 and Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graham, that is well played. That is well played. Uh, I, Graham, I just like to think that they want United fans to know that the status quo, which United fans do not like, continues because didn't they do this exact same thing with Marlon Fellaini and with Harry Maguire, where yeah, they the, were quoted the, a price and then they ended up spending too much for that player? So yeah, the, yeah. the Maguire one is the, the one I remember. Where the summer before Leicester yeah. City were like mm, fifty million, yeah. United were like, no, that's too much. Next summer, eighty million. I think Fellaini <laughs> was like had a twenty million pound release clause, and they yeah. missed the window, so had to pay thirty for him. So yeah, they're just they're just keeping the tradition alive, uh, and I think. It's a credit to Ajax that they're sticking firm with where they were because they have had quite the summer themselves. They have lost, I, I shouldn't say an entire team, but close to it when you look at Lissandro Martinez, Sebastian Haller, uh, Ryan Gravenberch, uh, Nico Talifico, and then they've lost Masraoui and uh, Andre Onana on a free. That's just a few of the names they've lost. So I think another one at this point could be fairly disastrous for them because they want the Champions League money. A deeper run allows them to get that money to then reinvest it even more. And I think that's why they're holding out for a huge fee to sort of offset if they don't make that Champions League run because they would lose a player like Anthony who is so important to their attack. And I think it's smart business for them. If it ends up happening, I think it's extra smart business for them. Less so for Man United, but they get an attacking player and a marquee signing at that. So I guess that's good, question mark. Yeah, it's always going to work out great for Man United, Taylor. You can rest assured what? there. 
Hearing um, hearing that, like, oh, the the whole, like, it's not my money, which I guess it's not, but at the same time, if you've bought a ticket to Manchester United or any of their merchandise, it is your money, because it's not the Glazers putting in their yeah. money, it is your money that they are spending. Oh, boy. Uh, why don't we talk about the other Anthony who is um, on the market, uh, or supposedly on the market at the moment, Anthony Gordon, uh, Everton's saviour, who... May not be the saviour for much longer, Graham. Um, seems like he might be on the move. Is that a good idea for Everton, who've already you know, lost Richarlison in this window and maybe need someone like him on the books? I would say it's a good idea at the prices being quoted for him, the, the, the offers being made by Chelsea. I, I can't understand why Everton aren't accepting these offers from Chelsea. I can, I can grasp that they're reluctant to see a young player leave the club when it seems like they are, they're struggling for certainly attacking firepower at the moment, and even they're struggling for a connection with their own supporters, so I can understand why they would want to keep that player. But the money that Chelsea are offering for this player is insane. £60 million is the latest reported figure that Chelsea have offered. Everton are still digging in their heels. And if that is a ploy to get more out of Chelsea, then I say fair play. If they push that fee up to £70 million, which would be, in my mind, that would be the most inflated deal of, of the whole summer. Because while Anthony Gordon is a good, talented player, we've seen nothing from him to suggest that he's worth that sort of money. And Everton could use that money to reinvest in some areas of the squad where where they're desperate for players. They need a striker. I know they've got Calvert-Lewin, but he is very injury prone. He's currently out injured right now. They literally don't have anyone else to play in that position. So you take that money from Chelsea, you invest in a striker, and that could be the difference between a good season and, and, and a bad season for Everton. So every player has their price, and I would very much say that £60 million should be Anthony Gordon's price. And, sell, sell, sell. And we've we've talked about, we were just talking about this with Manchester United, about timing, uh, the timing of some of these deals. This strikes me as a time when Anthony Gordon's stock is probably higher than it will be at any point in the future, right? I mean, he's had one season, one full season for Everton, where he, he didn't really produce all that much in the attack because Everton are, are really poor at the moment. So that's somewhat understandable. But you look and think, okay, well, that's not really all that likely to change this season. Maybe there'll be some minor improvements, but I'm not expecting Everton to be that much better in the attack. So his numbers aren't going to look all that much better. I think if you're Everton, similar to what Graham's saying, this is the time you want to capitalize. You want to get that number as high as you can, and maybe they're in the midst of that right now. And this deal does go through. But take advantage of teams that, that want Gordon now, because I just have a hard time envisioning his stock moving up any further than it already is over the next six or 12 months. Hmm, interesting. Um, anybody else who we think might be on the move in the next week? What about Christian Pulisic? Uh, his father, I haven't been tracing his father's social media movements lately, but he's certainly been linked with a few clubs as his father has been stoking that fire. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on, on Pulisic and if, if he might leave Chelsea? I mean, I think there's a chance he leaves Chelsea. It seems like the Manchester United stuff has blown over, and so it doesn't doesn't feel like that's going to happen at this point. I'm sure there are clubs out there that would be interested in him. Uh, I've made my, my personal opinion on whether he should move or not clear over the last month or so, but I think teams would be foolish not to be inquiring, and Pulisic clearly wants to go somewhere, or it seems that he wants to go somewhere and play. I, I don't think there's a lot of clarity on really where that is going to be right now, and the same goes with Serginho Dest if we're going to put another player in here. I think there's a, a probably a better chance that Dest moves than Pulisic moves, but I mean, uh, where, right? There's this this report from, I believe, Sport, which I don't think is all that reliable, typically, about Dest and, and Thomas Mounier being swapped from Barcelona to Dortmund. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. I think Dortmund wouldn't be the worst spot for, for Serginho Dest to land. 
I just don't have a lot of clarity around where some of these USMNT players might move. But in, in both Polisic and Desk's case, I think there's a chance they do end up moving. Uh, another view behind the curtain for listeners. As Joe was talking, I messaged Ryan to say, hey, Ryan, I have one more player I wanted to mention. I forgot to add Serginho Dest to the list. And I think as I hit send, Joe brought up Serginho <laughs> Dest. So well done, Joe Lowry. Thank uh, you, well thank done you. to you. I, I would not mind Dest at, at, at Dortmund. Let's just get everybody at Dortmund and see what happens. Let's see how Pulisic, uh, let's get him back at Dortmund. Let's get him with Reina. Let's get Dest in there. We'll make them uh, a pro-America team. I'm good with that. I wanted to ask one more from for you all, and then I will stop talking about Manchester. United for this part of this show. Um, I still don't get the like Harry Maguire is not for sale, absolutely not sort of position. And I can't tell if that's because at this point the writing has been he doesn't fit the system, he's not really a player they need, and so his value will be low. I can't tell if it's because people in decision-making positions don't want that transfer to end up looking like a failure. I don't know if it's because they're worried they'll strengthen a rival. Maybe all of the above, but he has somehow become untouchable for a team that also don't seem like they want to use him all that much. So I'm wondering if anyone has any thoughts on any of that. Yeah, I, th- I think Manchester United would be wise to offload Harry Maguire this window. I still wouldn't rule it out. It feels a little bit like what Manchester United are saying about Harry Maguire mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. actually what they think about Harry Maguire, as proven by the fact that Eric Ten Hag, after the, was it the first game of the season? I can't remember. Both, both of those first two games were just as bad as the other. So one of those two games, he came out and he said that Harry Maguire was, uh, he had full faith in Harry Maguire, that he was going to continue to be a, an important figure for Manchester United. And then he was dropped for the Liverpool game and that centre-back partnership of Varane and Martinez looked a lot better. So I don't have any inside information. This is just a hunch. It would not surprise me if we get to deadline day, Chelsea complete that deal for Wesley Fofana from Leicester City and Harry Maguire is shuffled out the back door on loan to Leicester City. That would feel like a, a move that would maybe would maybe benefit all parties. Leicester City play a, a, a game that's more Ooh. suited to him. Manchester United um, get rid of him out of their squad and Chelsea get their man as well. So uh, that's just a hunch that maybe that deal could happen. Graham, Graham let's go the other way. So Maguire to Chelsea, then Chelsea swaps in with, uh, to Leicester for Fofana. Let's go the other way. Uh, not good for Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Graham, on the Maguire move, um, there was a narrative not that long ago that Ten Hag, A, couldn't take him out of the team and B, certainly wouldn't sell him because he's the captain and he, you know, politically that's a poor move. That's just all out the window now, I guess. Well, if Ten Hag after the Liverpool, ga- Liverpool game still said that Harry Maguire was an important figure for <laughs> Manchester United. So that's what that's what I'm talking about when I say what Man United are doing with Harry Maguire is very different to what they're saying. Hmm. Indeed, indeed. Right, we've talked about plenty of players who may be on the move, have been on the move. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about some of the teams. Take a more holistic view. Which teams need what? What on earth are Barcelona up to? And more after this break. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's focus on a couple teams who still might have some business to do. Um, Graham, we mentioned Leicester. We mentioned them um, having done no business at all at the moment, but having plenty of their players uh, potentially poached by other teams. Um, Brendan Rodgers, probably not the happiest bunny in the world at the moment with the state of play at Leicester mm. City. Do you think they uh, are going to finish this window with uh, with no comings or goings? Uh, that's not what Brendan Rodgers wants. He, he spoke about a, a rebuild ahead of the summer and that just hasn't materialised at all. And in fact, the final week of this window now, I think might be about keeping hold of players rather than, rather than adding players, as, as we mentioned already. Wesley Fofana, he's a, a target for, for Chelsea. James Madison um, has been linked with Newcastle pretty, pretty strongly. Um, Jamie Vardy was actually linked with Manchester United before he signed a, a, a new contract. Yuri Tielemans, I think everyone expected him to be moving on in this, this summer and that hasn't materialised yet. But I was reading today that Arsenal have revived that interest. Manchester United have been linked in the past. So there's another player that could be leaving in, in the final week. And a, a couple of seasons ago, I would have said... Leicester City were probably the best run club in the Premier League, but they, they seem to have lost their way a little bit in terms of, of, of recruitment. They've already let Kasper Schmeichel leave the club this summer. Maybe that needed to happen. That in itself is not a, a bad move, but the fact that they've been playing Danny Ward, their second choice goalkeeper, as, as the number one, and I've watched Danny Ward a bit over the course of his career, and he's a decent enough goalkeeper. He, he played in Scotland for, for a while, but he's not a Premier League number one, and they haven't replaced Schmeichel properly yet. So it feels like there is a lot of business to be done, but 
some of those players, Fofana, Madison and Telemans, might need might they may need to be moved on before Leicester City can can spend some of that money. And that's not an ideal situation for uh, Rodgers in particular to be in. Mm, yeah, it doesn't seem like the purse strings are being loosened, particularly at Leicester. Um, plenty of loose purse strings, so to speak, at Chelsea, though, Joe. Um, do we think they are going to make a few more moves? It seems that way, right? I mean, Anthony Gordon is certainly still within the realm of possibility. Wesley Fofana as well. He's a, a really interesting player, 21-year-old French center back, good dribbler, relatively mobile. I think he would be a, a very good player for them. Some of the prices that have been tossed around, at least in the media, are high, but prices in general are high right now. I think Chelsea do need a center back. You have Koulibaly, you have Thiago Silva, you have uh, Reese James who can certainly do a job. There's other folks in the squad that can play in those spots, but adding an, another starting caliber player feels important for Chelsea when you think about the fixture congestion that they're going to experience as the season progresses. And then, you know, maybe Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is is still in the picture. We talked about Barcelona needing to offload players, and Aubameyang is seemingly one of the players that is likely to leave along with Depay, along with Dest. But nothing that I've read is official on that front. But I think Aubameyang could, could do some useful things for Chelsea as a depth option in their attack. So I, I don't know specifically what the moves are going to be for Chelsea. It does feel like Fafana is getting closer and closer but I would expect them to make at least one, if not two, moves as this next week unfolds. I, I like the idea of Aubameyang, actually. I know I know he's a short-term solution, and he's been spat out, spat out by Arsenal, and it seems like he's about to be spat out by Barcelona in quick succession, but Chelsea needs a more reliable goal scorer. You would say maybe only Sterling is the, is the only player that they have at the moment that you can count on for 15 goals in a season. So they need just to add some more goals to that team. Aubameyang will do that, and I think he's someone who is mobile and he can attack from wide areas. So he's not he's not just replacing Lukaku, who obviously didn't work in, in Tuchel's team. So I, I do quite like that move, even if it is a bit of a stopgap solution. Graham, I don't know why I always end up throwing this guy in. Would Memphis be a good player for Chelsea to go after? You would Are assume, you his agent? Uh, yeah, it, it feels that way sometimes. <laughs> Ever since he was with United, I've become his agent. Uh, but he does seem like one who you could get for relatively cheap, because I think he's one that Barcelona are happy to move on. But mm. I don't know if he would present you with the exact same problems that Timo Werner did, or if he would yeah. be a difference maker. So I think Memphis Depay would actually work pretty well in Chelsea's attack, but he doesn't solve the problem that they're looking to Aubameyang to solve. I, I just don't trust Memphis mm-hmm. Depay to be a, a solid enough finisher, which is essentially what Chelsea are looking for. They're looking for someone who can score goals inside the box. And I'm not entirely sure Memphis is that player. If you told me Manchester United were going for Memphis Depay, I would say that would be a pretty good sign because they, they are not necessarily looking for a penalty box finisher at the moment. They're looking for someone, a mobile forward who can play in a number of different positions across that front line and who can lead the press from the front. And I think Memphis can do that. But in terms of Chelsea, I, I don't think he ticks every box for them. Just to, just to go on the problem solving that Memphis Depay might do at Chelsea, just to jump back to Anthony Gordon, Anthony Gordon, Graham, what problem does he solve? Uh, nothing. I'm not entirely sure. I don't <laughs> understand it, really, from a Chelsea point of view. I think I think in the Todd Bowley era, which is obviously still fledgling at, at this point, they seem to have put a focus on buying some young players for, for the future. And maybe that's what is is uh, guiding the, the, the Anthony Gordon yeah. pursuit. Yeah. But in terms of their squad right now, uh, I'd rather have Pulisic in my squad than Anthony Gordon. And I think if Gordon arrives, that's maybe the thing that pushes Pulisic out. So... Um, yeah, difficult one to answer that one, uh, Ryan. I'm not entirely sure what problem he solves. How are they? How are they on home grounds? That's the only thing I could think is if they need 
more domestic players in terms of signings, in terms of actual playing minutes, because it does feel like a lot of their transfers of late have been not players that would uh, qualify in that way. Like Raheem Sterling definitely would, but I'm not sure how they are elsewhere. So maybe that's part of it, but that might be being uh, generous and looking for reasons why it makes sense as opposed to agreeing that it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, yeah, perhaps um, because they did allow Christensen to leave for Barcelona. He would have been a homegrown player. Lukaku potentially might have been a homegrown player. What's the what's the stipulation? Is it three years under the age of 21? Yeah, I think so. Lukaku might actually have fulfilled that. So there's two just off the top mm-hmm. of my head. So yeah, maybe that is a factor. Anthony Gordon, though, born in Liverpool, the Republic, not, um, you know, they put the answer, That's true. not part not of the part UK, of so um, I don't know if it counts <laughs> there. Um, we'll have to look into that. Um, when we're talking about what teams still need to do what, why don't we have a quick talk about Barcelona? Um, Joe, I'm still incredibly confused by Barcelona and their comings and goings and yes. Jules Koundé not being registered, but they're still looking for other players in the market. I Talk to me. What's happening here? It's great fun, isn't it? I mean, I am I am still so thankful. We had the Manchester United-Barcelona chaos carousel throughout most of the summer. Things have, have slowly quieted down a little bit at Manchester United. They've slowly quieted down at Barcelona a little bit, but there's still plenty of chaotic things happening in both of those clubs. With Barcelona, you mentioned it, Ryan Jules Koundé still not registered as of at least when we started recording. He could still leave for free. So I, I know we've mentioned this in passing, but just to detail it, Apparently, the club promised Kunde that he would play against Real Sociedad, and uh, he, he wasn't even registered for that game. So not only did he not play and make his Barca debut, but he's still not even eligible to be participating in those activities. If he's not registered by, I believe, the 31st, he reportedly can walk for free after Barca paid 55 million euros for him. I would Amazing. be shocked, as entertaining as this would be, to see Jules Kunde walk. And I don't wish that for him, because it seems like he wants to be at Barcelona. But I, I wish that for the good of us all as neutrals who get to watch this unfold. Um, as entertaining as that would be, this just sort of has this inevitable feeling about it, right, of Barcelona somehow sorting things out and selling off the rest of their future and rebranding La Masia as the Apple Music Academy or whatever it is to compete with their Spotify. So I don't know what it's going to be, right? But it feels like there's going to be something that happens. They're trying to get rid of Aubameyang. They're trying to get rid of Depay. They're trying to get rid of Dest. They've already sent Nico on loan to Valencia, as I mentioned earlier. Ricky Puj has gone. They've done some squad surgery. T- pay cuts have been taken. Frankie de Jong is still being held hostage for all that we know. There's, there's a lot going on with Barcelona right now. I would expect them to sort everything out for players to leave, for Kunde to be registered. The, the weirdest thing, and this I don't expect to happen, but the weirdest thing that's been popping up over the last couple of weeks is that apparently there's been some sort of link between Bernardo Silva of Manchester City and FC Barcelona. And I think that would be a brilliant signing for Barcelona or literally anyone in the world because Bernardo Silva is one of the best players to ever play soccer and certainly one of the best right now. But I don't think there's enough money or movement that's going to happen to be able to to bring in someone like Bernardo Silva in. I doubt that. But even still, the fact that it seems like Barcelona are still swinging for the fences this late in the window just says a lot about how cavalier they've been about their entire transfer strategy. Not just really this window, but I guess just how the club is run in general. I am so here for it, fellas, because this is the gift that just keeps on yeah. giving. I, I really want Jules Kunde to be freed because I want to see the faces at Chelsea when they've just put £80 million on Wesley Fofana uh, and then all of a sudden <laughs> Kunde is available, the player that they wanted all along. You you almost couldn't write a better script than that. Like You, you really couldn't write a better script than this whole Barcelona saga, starting with Messi leaving and now all the way to today. Graham, that would be the perfect final act. Maybe not even the final act, but the perfect, uh, the perfect scene for this whole thing. And then Kunde goes to Leicester? 
right? Yeah. I'll check <laughs> it out. winner of this whole situation. And, and Manchester United still have Harry Maguire. Yeah. I'm going to go drink. Uh, okay. Before you drink, Tony, do you want to talk about Man United and any needs they have, or should we should we park them? I have to believe that people are tired of hearing me talk about Manchester United at this <laughs> yeah. point, and uh, I'm just assuming that people are nodding at home, so I- I'm good. I feel like we've talked Fine. about yeah. them plenty. Th- this week's big thing is also on Manchester United yeah! and Manchester United and the Glazers situation, <laughs> so maybe let's park the Manchester United chat for now. Very well. Why don't we talk about one other team, uh, another team in red, Nottingham Forest. Now, when a team is promoted, um, you-, you see them usually go in one or two directions. They keep the team that got them through the championship or they make wild changes. Um, the wild changes teams tend not to do very well, Graham, I think historically, if, if I'm correct there. Nottingham Forest, I believe they made 16 signings, spent over £130 that's million. That's, that's, yeah, that's quite a lot, isn't it? It is. Um, let me try and rationalise this for a second. So one thing I would say about the, the business that Forest have done this summer is that they lost a good number of important players that helped them win promotion last season. So they they had to find some replacements. Uh, Jed Spence was one of those players. Uh, James Garner, he was on loan from Manchester United. It doesn't seem like he's going back to Nottingham Forest. Uh, Philip Zinkernagel was an important player. He was on loan from Watford last season. He has left. And so players like Lingard, I know Lingard in particular was signed to be the replacement for 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 Zinkernagel. And so that is maybe a caveat with some of the business that Forrest has done is that they didn't really have an option to keep the core of their team from last season together because that 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 team kind of dispersed in different directions. The other explanation for the level of business that they have done is that Forrest, and I was reading a little bit about this, Forrest have seen an opportunity where uh, FFP, Financial Fair Play, allows them to spend a lot of money this summer. Financial Fair Play, I think, allows for sixty million a loss of sixty million pounds over a three-year period, and this is where it gets slightly confusing for reasons I didn't fully understand. This article I read said that next summer and the summer after that, they might not have that leeway. That opportunity might not be there. So they they're basically investing now, and it would be a surprise if they continue to invest at this level over the next couple windows. But but nonetheless, you're right. They have they have spent a lot. They've made a, a lot of additions. Watching that first game against Newcastle. United I had concerns about them because they played nothing like the team they were last season but they've been a lot better uh, since then they beat West Ham they got a point away to Everton and I, I think Steve Cooper is a good enough coach to, to mould a decent team out of all those players that he has but it's it's still a big task and it might not be until the second half of the season that we actually start to see what Forrester are really all about this season mm. a lot of money to spend to maybe go straight down again Graham. That's the risk. Yeah. That's the gamble they've made. It, it is indeed. wild how much they've spent. Like, I knew we talked about them plenty. I knew they had spent some. I think I'm correct in saying they've brought in 16 players, not including ones who came back from loan. And then when you're talking about the money spent, that doesn't include Dean Henderson on loan. We'd assume his wages are pretty sizable. Jesse Lingard on a free. Sheku Koyate on a free. Wayne Hennessy also on a free. So that's not that doesn't even count towards their expenditure. But some of those players, Morgan Gibbs-White especially, I think will end up being incredibly important, incredibly good players for them. There are other ones who have come in for slightly less money that I won't be surprised if we don't see as much of. And I also won't be surprised if they end up being those players who were brought in. Like in Transfer Mark, you can see them brought in one summer and the next summer sold right out the door. So I think there will be some transition for Nottingham Forest, but I think credit to them for uh, spending some money and putting themselves in theoretically a stronger position for the rest of the season. And 
did they not pay forty-four million pounds for Gibbs White? Yep. I mean, he's a he's a good player, but that is a, a sensational amount of money for someone who's not done a great deal. Graham, I love how your Twitter feed because I see this. We haven't talked about this yet, but your Twitter feed is now just like you quote tweeting tweets about Anthony Gordon <laughs> or about Morgan Gibbs White or Wesley Fofana and saying, "Oh, that's a lot of money." <laughs> I've really enjoyed that progression throughout the summer. One other one other Nottingham Forest uh, tidbit here. Do you guys want to guess? And maybe you already know this, which will make this game not fun. So if you know, just pretend you don't. Do you guys want to guess how many clubs have spent more money in the transfer window, according to uh, Transfer Market, this year in all of the entire world of soccer? Um, as the answer is either zero or one. Close. Barca is the only one I can think of that. Maybe Barcelona and close. Chelsea are the two that Transfer Market <laughs> oh. lists above Nottingham Forest, a newly promoted Premier League club. And Ryan, I'm sorry, I know this kind of takes us into the next. I know this takes us into the next segment, and so I don't want to steal your job here. So we can tread back if we need to, but. In terms of when we're talking about this transfer window, the biggest story, hands down, outside of any individual signings that that folks like more than others, whatever that is, the biggest story is how much money the Premier League has spent. It has never been clearer that the financial hub, soccer's financial hub, is in England right now. When you're looking at at the clubs in the Premier League that have spent money, eight of the top ten teams in the entire world in terms of transfer spending come from the Premier League. Chelsea, Nottingham Forest, Manchester United, West Ham, Arsenal, Man City, Tottenham, and Wolves. Twelfth is Leeds United, who are just under a million dollars of spend behind PSG. I, I don't think I, I don't think I can properly articulate how wild that is, Ryan. At the top of the show, you mentioned the total expenditure from clubs in all of Europe. And uh, you mentioned that the Premier League has the majority of that spend. That's that's not that far away from the truth. They have the largest chunk of any top five leagues they almost have more than the rest of the top four major European leagues combined. So according to Transfer Market, the other big five leagues in Europe, so that's uh, Spain, Germany, Italy, and France, have spent $2.2 billion combined on transfers this summer. The Premier League, and this is before the Alexander Isak deal officially goes through and before some other deals go through, has spent $1.91 billion on its own. They've spent $300 million less than all of the other top European leagues combined. That is truly wild to me. The Premier League has, has led spending for a while. It feels like this is the most extreme version of the Premier League having just a financial grip around soccer that, that we have just never seen to this extent before. And Nottingham Forest are just one example of the, the absolutely absurd spending in the Premier League right now. Do, do you remember when people during the COVID pandemic used to predict that transfer fees would, uh, would drop quite significantly? Maybe they have mm-hmm. elsewhere in Europe, but certainly... Certainly not in the Premier League. Forty-four million for Gibbs White, sixty million for Anthony Gordon. Yeah. Well, soccer often imitates life, Graham. And of course, in the UK, the economy is very strong. There's no recession. There's no people who are going to be worrying about heating their homes this <laughs> yeah, it's winter. Yeah, great here. Yeah, it's all it's all very strong. So this is a perfect mirror of of society in the UK right now. It's like wonderful. Yeah, great. Yeah, there's definitely not poop in our uh, rivers and lakes at the moment. <laughs> Good. Me. Yeah, that is good and also not true. <laughs> Why don't we um, move on to our final segment very quickly. Joe, you teed it up there. Let's quickly go around the houses at the clubs we think have won the summer window. Possibly not those by Rivers, I would suggest. Um, although, uh, no, no, Fulham aren't here. Arsenal, <laughs> Arsenal, they're a good one, right? They, they've got to... Um, They've got to be up there with at least those two Man City signings they've made. Uh, who wants to talk about that? Yeah, one, I got it. I got Arsenal. I, I mean, we don't need to really dive any deeper in here. They signed Matt Turner, so I don't really need to say anything more than that. No, you get Gabriel Jesus, you get Zinchenko. <laughs> Fabio Vieira is kind of a wild card here, but I could see that signing turning into something. Uh, I'm, I'm joking about Matt Turner, but I think he's he's really good, even though he's probably not going to play a ton this year. I think it's a good window for Arsenal to get a number of 
not just functional pieces, but really high-value difference makers into this team. And mm. weaken a, a Premier League rival as well at the same time, I think, is really valuable for them. So a great window for Arsenal. They spent a lot. Um, they had some players going on the other end as well, but they, they certainly spent more in terms of transfer fees than they recouped from selling players on. But still, I think we're going to see a better Arsenal team this year, and I think a lot of that's because of the moves they made this summer. And and staying in, in North London, I think Tottenham have, have also had uh, a good window. The, the only way it could have been better is if they had added another world-class centre-back, which is I thought they were going to do that before the start of the summer. Bastoni seemed to be the player that they were going after. He rejected them. And they sign Clement Longley instead on loan from Barcelona. I'm not I'm not totally convinced by Clement Longley. And it seems that Conte is not totally convinced either because he hasn't featured much. I, I also thought Jed Spence would be Spurs' first choice right back. But Conte, again, doesn't seem to, to fancy him much, although it's still very early on. He's a young player. But the main reason I like what Spurs have done in this window is it hasn't been very Spursy. They've, they've bought for the here and the now, which I think is fine when they're in the position they're in at the moment with, with Conte, where there's a there's a chance that Tottenham maybe mount a title challenge this season. And that obviously hasn't been something we've been able to say a, a great number of times in the, in the last kind of two decades about Spurs. So I think it's fine that they're, they're signing for here and now. They haven't done that very often recently. And, and they also got their, their, their business done early. And Spurs don't usually do that either. So we haven't actually spoken about Spurs on these transfer update shows for, for quite a while. But that's because a lot, pretty much all their signings were, were done very early, very early. I still think they could do with a, a creative midfielder. So maybe that's a deal they get done in the final week. But I like the business that they've done. Yeah, well, we all tip Tottenham. I think we all tip Tottenham for top four this season. So evidently, they have done some very good business. Good shout there, Graham. Tate, anyone else to nominate here for best clubs of the window? Uh, not that I'm trying to get rid of him, but Graham, should Tottenham go after Harry Maguire? I feel like he could sit deep and then help them counter. <laughs> and in a back three as well, he's got more protection. Yeah, good move. Pretty, yeah. Much, yeah. pretty much any uh, big six team that isn't Manchester United or Liverpool, I guess, uh, would be better for Harry Maguire. There we go. Uh, yeah, right. with that said, uh, two teams that I think we should uh, mention briefly. One of them I already talked about, uh, Real Madrid, I think have had a really smart summer, starting out with sort of missing out on Mbappe. Maybe that hurts them long-term, but I think short-term it gives them stability, and I think they will be able to spend that Mbappe fund wisely, or relatively wisely. I think Chiuamini will end up being an incredibly important player. They recouped a lot of that uh, transfer fee by selling on players. I think they've sold players for over $100 million at this point. They get Antonio Rudiger on a free to partner David Alaba, who they also got on a free. Uh, and I think that that frugal approach to building a squad uh, has been good. They're also giving youngsters time to sort of develop and reach their potential so I think a strong summer for Real Madrid and then for Bayern Munich I think also a really strong summer the rich get richer the strong get stronger um when they lose Robert Lewandowski, it feels like, oh, they're losing this talismanic player. How will they ever replace him? And I think they have done a good job of controlling that narrative a little bit such that I now am inclined to say it felt like a player that they didn't really want to keep anymore, that didn't fit with Nagelsmann, that didn't fit the system. Again, I think a lot of that is is post-transfer spin, but he does seem to have burned a lot of bridges. And so to, to let him go, but still get a fee for him, and then to reinvest that money and bring in Sajo Mane, who clearly wants to be there and is doing things and scoring goals to bring in some of the players we've already talked about from Ajax. I think it's given them a stronger foundation, more of a the Nagelsmann DNA. I think he is much more firmly in charge of that uh, roster than he has been uh, in months past and certainly last season. So I think overall, Bayern Munich having a, a pretty strong yeah. summer, so too Real Madrid. 
Yeah, Taylor, you've just convinced me that that is actually the answer to who has won the summer's transfer window. It's, it's Bayern Munich, because before this, the start of this window, you would say, who are the players that they need? The priorities, they needed a centre-back, they needed a, a, mm. a right-back, they needed a central midfielder, and they needed a mobile forwards. And they have got top-class players yeah. in all of those positions. They I didn't even the left, yeah. They got Masrawi from Ajax, they got Gravenberch, and they got Sadio Mane. That is an incredible window for Bayern Munich. So actually, you've, I, I didn't have that answer in my list, but that, for me, is the answer. Oh, good. Bayern are stronger, and all the other German teams are pooping the bed every week. Wonderful. That sounds great. All right, that concludes our transfer special for now. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you, my friend. Uh, 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 Graham Rutherford, a pleasure as always. Always forgot your name. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And remember, stay away from the rivers and lakes. Yeah, that was what was throwing me. I was thinking about yep. rivers and lakes. Uh, Joe, Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, sir. Right back at you, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us on this one, listener. We look forward to many of these stories going out of date between the time that we uh, end the recording and publish this episode. But for now, bye. Bye. 